The Connecticut Sun are alive and well. Jackie Powell and I are here at Mohegan Sun to talk about it right after Game 3, 105-76 win by Connecticut over Las Vegas. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. You are Locked on Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. From a secret location deep inside Mohegan Sun, I am Howard Magdal, founder and editor of The Next. And I'm Jackie Powell. I, um, I'm the Liberty Beat reporter at The Next, but I do national coverage of the WNBA and women's basketball at Bleacher Report. Fantastic stuff and social for us at The Next as well. And we are happy to talk to you right after what was an incredibly surprising, incredibly impressive and hugely significant win by the Connecticut Sun, a 105-76 drubbing of a Las Vegas Aces team that, quite frankly, came into this game without seeming to have very much of an Achilles heel at all. So we're going to get into why the Sun were able to do things so well, what went wrong for the Aces and how fixable it is, and what the rest of this series looks like. You know, I want to thank you for making us your first listen Every day, of course, you can get us wherever you subscribe to podcasts. You can get us on YouTube as well. You can see us on video. Who knows what rooms we'll be in next. You can also make sure to subscribe to the work that we do over at The Next, thenexthoops.com. For $9 a month or $72 a year, you have over 100 reported pieces and you have reporters everywhere. Even as we speak, the great Jacqueline LeBlanc is working on a piece about the Connecticut Sun. Matthew Walter, who covers the Las Vegas Aces for us, working on a piece for the Aces as well. It's the type of in-depth coverage that you simply cannot get anywhere else. So I urge you to subscribe and join us. But we've got to get into this one because my mind is blown. Kurt Miller came out, said, pre-game, we need to get the first punch in Vegas goes up nine to two and you think, all right, well, there goes that. Well, 46 to 16 followed for Connecticut. And so, Jackie, how early did you see indications that this was the type of night that Connecticut needed to have in your mind? I think it was when you saw productivity from DeWanna Bonner. Mm -hmm. And it was on both sides of the ball. There's one moment I cannot get out of my brain, which is Kurt Miller makes the decision to put Duana Bonner on Chelsea Gray. I think it was one of the first shots that Chelsea Gray had. It was her classic penetrate into the mid range. And, you know, she goes downhill and then she step steps back mm -hmm. and she takes that long two that she can hit and makes it look so easy. So she got by Dewana. Dewana was sort of trailing her. And once Chelsea Gray hit the shot, you could see that Dewana was just was pissed at herself. Like, yeah. God, like, why did I let her get by me? And then once that happened, there was a switch that went on. I don't know how, but Dewana was all over. Dewana was relentless. Yeah. This was the Dewana Bonner game, like you said, on both sides of the ball. It was striking to me when she hit her third field goal. I noted this on Twitter. Uh, six minutes to go in the second quarter. She had already outpaced 
her field goal total from all of game one and two. She came into this one two for 18 in the series. And quite frankly, there were two parts that changed dramatically. And we'll get to the other part uh, when we get to the Aces side of it. Uh, some things that didn't seem likely to go wrong went wrong. But there was no bigger part in the Connecticut Sun victory than what Dewana Bonner did. And I know that's a strange thing to say on a night that Alyssa Thomas had the first triple-double in WNBA Finals history. Nevertheless, I just don't think that Alyssa Thomas alone was enough to change the course of this game in this series. However, Alyssa Thomas had a triple-double tonight. <laughs> Alyssa Thomas, and to me, and, and take me through what you think about it. My, from my perspective, it was AT is uh, someone who operates with brute force so much of the time. But there is, when she is at her best, there is a finesse to it. There is a touch to it. So she's going into the lane strong, but she's not overwhelming people. And she's figuring out where to stop, where to find her spot. She's dishing to her teammates, but she's making fewer mistakes when she's doing it. That was what was happening tonight. Double digit assists, but only three turnovers. What, what is it about AT that sticks out in your mind? So you were sort of talking about her offense, mm -hmm. and I think it's important that we talk about defensively what she was able no to doubt. do. I mean, I would like, if I have time to rewatch this game, to have a stopwatch and put it on and try to track how long it takes for her to rotate because mm -hmm. it is ridiculous <laughs> how quick she moves from one side of the floor to the next. Yeah. And she's a 6'2 post player she, she's a big person. Yeah. So that was what I saw there. I also think the Connecticut Sun were very uncharacteristic in game two when it came to just not really getting the hustle plays. Mm -hmm. That was something they missed in game two. And it sort of was, AT sort of took it upon herself and was like, okay, I'm going to make sure we get all those hustle plays back. Yeah. And I spoke to Natisha Heideman in the locker room post game. And she sort of was explaining to me how AT's will is what's very contagious in that locker room. Mm -hmm. It's when she puts her mind to something, you don't want to counter that. It reminds me a lot of the effect Tamika Catchings would have on the Indiana Fever. And you would see that throughout. I remember, and, and it's barely relevant to what the Fever were, but I remember covering an all-star game back in 2015. And Marissa Coleman spoke about the fact that she knew even in the All-Star game, she needed to play defense because she was on the same team as Tamika Catchings and Tamika Catchings wouldn't stand for anything different. And you heard that tonight, you know, when we were talking to John Cole Jones and Dewana Bonner and AT as well, following the game, just this understanding that even when they got down early, that nine to two, AT was the one who helped keep them calm in that moment. Again, it goes back to, and I just think Kurt Miller deserves so much credit for this, but Kurt Miller has understood the extent to which this can and should be a player-driven team. That's probably true of any WNBA team in 2022, but it's particularly true of the way this team is made up. And so for him to let Dewana Bonner dictate in the last series, hey, we're going to have this day where we're not going to practice. For him to, in that moment, 
make sure that his veterans are the ones who are emboldened. The truth of the matter is, when you look at the best coaches in WNBA history, and I, when he when it's said and done, Kurt Miller's going to have a real claim on that, especially if they find a way to win a title here. Um, they empower their players. They are not domineering presences. I think that is key. Not a dictator. Coach. That's right. That's exactly right. Not a dictator coach. Sandy Brundell is a great example of that in New York. Somebody who's won titles as well. It's something that Cheryl Reef has done throughout her time winning four championships in Minnesota. You talk to Cheryl about this, and it is not a question of her forcing her players to do things. It's a, a question of making sure she was able to put Maya Moore and Sylvia Fowles and Simone Augustus and Lindsay Whalen in positions to do it. And knowing she had that veteran presence, knowing that Rebecca Brunson was not going to stand for anything else. And clearly Curtis tapped into that with his team. I, again, it goes back to, for me, this is the team that was trailing two games to one going into game four against Chicago and goes out and hangs 104 on the Chicago sky, beats them 104 to 80. And in a similar situation here tonight, hangs 105 on the Las Vegas Aces, who they had the trophy in the building. I interviewed the trophy. And it I was, filmed him uh, interviewing the trophy. Fairly ridiculous. You can see it on our social over mm -hmm. at the next. But, it, you know, it's right there for the taking. Asia Wilson is not somebody who lacks a will. Asia Wilson is as willful a player as anyone in this league. And Asia Wilson is on the cusp of getting this championship well, Asia Wilson was outwilled tonight by Alyssa Thomas. I think that's fascinating to me. Well, I think we also have to talk about who the MVP of this team is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because we talk about Alyssa Thomas, and based on how we're speaking about her, you'd think, oh, that's the Suns MVP. Mm -hmm. But Suns MVP is Jonquil Jones. And she did something tonight that she hadn't really established in this series. And Howard, if you pull up her stat line, mm -hmm. just so we can tell the folks, John Quill Jones, 20 points, four assists, five rebounds, and eight for 12 mm -hmm. from the field. That's a pretty efficient night. It sure is. I mean, it was, and again, eight for 12, it gets you to where you need her to be. Uh, Kurt has talked about this. This is not a question. Oh, and by the way, I just have to point out, and zero turnovers. So again, despite the fact that you're looking at a player who was very much a focus of the Las Vegas Aces defensively, didn't matter. She was still able to do what she needed to do and do it efficiently. So very significant. I want to talk a little bit more about JJ and um, also the impact that she had on the Aces side of it. First, we do need to talk about betonline.net, which is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and info this season. But guess what else? WNBA betting needs as well. I'm not a betting man, but I'm somebody who believes very strongly that women's basketball needs to have the opportunities for there to be bets. Jackie and I had the chance to talk to Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA, uh, a few days ago. Kathy was quick to mention the fact that bets are up 270% this year for the WNBA. So again, bet online, part of the solution rather than being part of the problem. So go ahead and check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, boxing, golf, and of course, women's basketball. Bet online where the game starts. And before we go back to talking about JJ, since you were talking about sports betting and mm -hmm. whatnot, I, I wonder... 
how folks uh, bet on this past game. Mm-hmm. Did people believe in the Connecticut Sun? That didn't matter to the Connecticut Sun. It's very interesting. And we are looking at a scenario where the over-under, as I understand it, was 160. Well, you know, clearly Connecticut almost outdistanced that all by themselves with 105. So let's talk about how that happened. And, you know, you, you asked a great question of Asia Wilson about John Quo Jones. Take me through what you heard from her and what you think we learned about that particular matchup, which is also going to ultimately, I think, determine the series here. So Asia Wilson, I asked her, I said, what, how would you describe John Quill Jones's performance mm-hmm. and how did it differ from the other games in the series? And she sort of said, well, this is who John Quill is. And she was very, I don't know if it's respectful. I mean, you could say respectful, I but think that's fair. she sort of tipped her hat to John Quill Jones and she even poked a bit at us media <laughs> folks and said, you know, people don't talk about her, but this is who John Quill is. She is their MVP and basically was agreeing with the fact that John Quill's performance was an MVP caliber performance. So I have to say, I think we talk about John Quill Jones a lot personally, but uh, but the larger point there, right, I think bears repeating, which is to say she was the 2021 MVP. She was the 2021 MVP. Has she played like that for much of the 2022 season? No, no, she hasn't. Has she played that way in the playoffs? Very few, very few and far between. Has she played that way in this series until tonight? No, no. flat out no. And so that's the critical part. And, and to me, part and parcel with that is, all right, she's not playing like that because she's going up against Asia Wilson. Yep. Asia Wilson, who is the MVP and has played like the MVP throughout this series without fail. I mean, again, we're looking at the down game for Asia Wilson, right? Oh, no, she was only 8 for 14 for 19 points. Now, (laughs) it is worth noting she only had four rebounds, which is a crazy low number from someone who has routinely been putting up 10-plus rebounds. That is significant, and it's hard to imagine that any change we see that allows the Aces to reassert the dominance and win this series on Sunday doesn't begin with not just more points in the paint, but more rebounding from Asia Wilson. I think what we have to talk about as well is there were doubles that the Sun were putting on Asia, which mm. were executed so well. And it, and for double teams to work, you need to have people rotating quickly. Mm-hmm. So when you have Alyssa Thomas, like all over the place, that works. And yeah. the doubles worked. And, and John Quell was very much so a big part of those doubles. And the one stat about JJ that we didn't mention was she had four personal fouls. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is I think that is a measure of her aggressiveness. Yeah. And that aggressiveness was what we we really haven't seen in a long time. And just to that point, aggressiveness, and even after she got the four, I have seen her do this. I have seen her do this in past years where she gets into foul trouble and you see her pull back. And she just wasn't doing that tonight. She just ran through the tape in a way uh, that I just thought was remarkable. I, a couple other things we want to talk about as we're looking at that Aces box score you know, Kelsey Plum is back to shooting pretty much like herself. 
Chelsea Gray, it's hard to say, oh, 11.7 assists, that was a down game. But seven shots in total. You know, I know that we've talked about in the next lap, we were surprised that AT wasn't guarding Chelsea more. We were definitely surprised. We didn't see Dewana Bonner on her more. Becky even talked about this postgame. When we talked to Becky Hammond, she said, you know, yeah, DB was about the only thing they hadn't tried on Chelsea Gray. And then when that was effective early on, we saw that continue. Um, do you think it's likely that we see a whole lot of DB on her come games four? And if there is game five, or do you think this is just one of Kurt Miller's uh, toolkit? I mean, if something works, then you continue. So, and the, the trapping was just so much more intentional. Mm -hmm. And especially when you had uh, DB and AT, like, really making Chelsea Gray just so flustered. Yeah. Usually she's so calm and collected and her decision-making is, I mean, her IQ is yeah. above that ceiling. And, and has been even greater in this playoffs. And I think it was Kelsey Plum who taught us this Becky Hammondism during her post game. She said it's, the 0.5 decisions, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you have to make a decision in 0.5 seconds. Yes. And the Aces really struggled with that. I mean, they were either dribbling a lot at the top of the key. Mm -hmm. um, the paint wasn't open. I mean, there was a moment, there were some moments in the third quarter where Kelsey Plum looked like she was maybe trying to will the Aces. I feel like there were moments in this game where individual players were trying to will the Aces back into it. Yeah. But I think part of the issue, and Becky Hammond talks about this a lot, is she always says, we have to play the right way. Mm -hmm. I don't think they as Becky would say, played the right way tonight. And what she means by that, at least I think, is Becky Hammond likes for those assist numbers to be up. Mm -hmm. And I believe, I mean, I don't, let's take a look. Yeah. The Aces assist numbers. Ended up with 19 today. To the Suns, 32. Listen, they had 19. Alyssa Thomas alone for the Sun almost matched them with 11. But it was 11 of 32. It was just the way they played. I 100% agree with you. I will uh, also refer to a Becky-ism that we got out of this post game, where she said, I, I don't think the Sun did a lot differently. They just did it a lot harder. And I asked Kurt Miller whether he agreed with that assessment. And he pointed out, and of course, there are gray areas. There were schematic changes. And you know those were clear to see. Uh, we've talked about them here tonight. Um, but yes, very much the case that you had individual aces willing them at different times, but this Sun team just collectively, I mean, per our friend Alexa Philippou, the largest win by a team facing elimination in WNBA finals history. Just a remarkable, remarkable night here at Mohegan. So I guess just leaving us into Sunday, I, I it just comes down to this question for me, and I'm curious what you think. Are we going to see this series go back to Las Vegas, or is this game... Uh, game four going to be where this season ends. Man, I, I feel like before we started recording, I had an answer, which mm -hmm. was, I think the Aces are going to bounce back. Mm -hmm. But the more and more we talked about what happened in this game, the more and more I'm not sure about that. I, it, it's fascinating, right? I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, mm -hmm. I, I'm, no, go ahead. I think game four is going to be close. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to see the blowouts that we saw in tonight's uh, game three mm -hmm. or in 
Tuesday, mm-hmm. Tuesday's game two. I think we're going to see something that resembles game one. Mm-hmm. I think I think you are absolutely right. I think it's fascinating, again, that the Sun have, in similar ways to what they did in Chicago, figured it out, changed the course of the series, not with a quote-unquote messy win, as the way Kurt would have talked about it, but with an offensive performance, you know, again, for the ages, you know, going up over 100 against one of the elite teams in this league, so, and the defensive player of the year. So fascinating to see. Cannot wait for Sunday. We will be with you right after the game on Sunday as well with a game four post-game podcast that gives you everything. Um, last thing before we go, just want to thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Um, we've looked into this, and Jackie, maybe you can speak to this a little bit more. Apparently, there is a lead um, also going on. I can't imagine why you'd need another lead, you know, with the way the WNBA uh, performs, but it's called the NBA and it's for men's basketball. Um, you were out in Las Vegas. Apparently they're looking at adding a team there, which again, good for them, right? You see the WNBA is doing well out there, sellouts with the aces. Oh, you know, let's try, let's try this fledgling league and see if it does well. Um, you think there's room in Vegas for two teams or is that just always going to be an aces town? I mean, the aces were the first. Yeah. Yeah, the first and very impressive. And still, despite this loss tonight, one win from a championship. So I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, Make sure you tune in tomorrow as well. We've got the great Jacqueline LeBlanc. Uh, She's going to talk to the equally great Natalie Heverin about this from the Sun perspective. Had a chance to talk to a bunch of Sun players. And, you know, we always give you that inside perspective. We're not just going to talk to you. We're going to do the work and the reporting first to make sure you're getting the full story with us. So the great Jackie Powell, follow her on Twitter at classic J P O W always, always worth your time to hear what Jackie has to say. I am Howard Magdal, founder and editor of the next. I am wishing you a wonderful, wonderful night. Are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.